great to have you here today. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at verses 23 to 29 in our time together this morning. Uh, just, just a kind of a quick announcement for you. We finished up on the series on Abraham, Tim did last week from Hebrews chapter 11, and we're in, we're in kind of a transition period for about three or four weeks, and then we're going to be starting up a series on the Gospel of Mark, um, and that will probably run us into 2021, uh, 20, well, this is into 2021. This is 2020, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that, that will, it'll run us for a while. So that's kind of where, where we are. Um, the fact that Tim was speaking from Hebrews 11 last week on Abraham got me thinking, because when you read Hebrews chapter 11, what you find is the individual that gets the most amount of, of text is Abraham. So I thought it might be interesting to look at the guy who gets the second amount of text, which is Moses from Hebrews chapter 11. So that was the, the reason for looking at this particular text. Shun Fujimoto competed in the 1976 Olympics on the Japanese gymnastics team. And during the uh, floor ceremony or floor exercise, he broke his knee. But he had to compete on the rings and he had to stick the landing ultimately if they were going to get the gold. And you can go online and you can actually watch it. It's pretty amazing. And just watching him on the ring. And you know, they do that somersault thing at the end. And I wouldn't even consider that. If I had a bad knee, I wouldn't jump off of here. You know what I mean? And, and so he does the somersault and he sticks it. And I mean, you can just see the pain just, just pulsing through him as he, uh, but, but he doesn't, doesn't move. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. And when he was done, this is what he said. He said, the pain I feel is only temporary, but victory will be remembered forever. Now, whether that's true or not, exactly, what you do come away with when you hear those words is, here is a guy who was willing to go through, for him, the pain was worth the gain, wasn't it? And, and, and you can go online and you can watch a whole series of videos on Olympiads and, and what they go through and what they sacrifice and what they say no to for some, some grander goal and purpose, right? You, you see that all the time in the Olympics. It's true of the Christian life, isn't it? The, the Christian life can be viewed in a variety of ways, but one way to view it is to recognize the Christian life is a life in which we have to leave certain things, don't we? We have to say no. God, no, I, I want that, but no, at least not for now, and maybe never, depending upon what it is. And instead, we cleave and we embrace something else, which is God and His glory. But is that easy? It's, it's not easy. It's, it's often very, very, very difficult. It's exactly what the audience in the book of Hebrews was facing. 
If you go back to the end of chapter 10 in Hebrews, one of the things you find is that these Jewish believers are just tired. They're, 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 they're discouraged. They, they've been intimidated. They're facing persecution. They're, they're, they're losing things. And they're, they're thinking, maybe what I need to do is just kind of blend into the background. Not be too vocal about this Christian stuff. Just kind of go with the flow. Do we ever feel like that? I do. There are times when I don't want to say things. There are times when I don't want to do things. I know I should. God prompts your heart as a believer, doesn't he? And you go like, and you go like nah, 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 nah. That's going to cost me too much. Do you see? So we're not exactly where the, the believers are in the book of Hebrews, but we are, aren't we? We all struggle with life. What is it that I must leave? What is it that I must embrace? And so what I want to look at with you today from the life of Moses is his journey of faith as we have it portrayed in the book of Hebrews. Now, there's a lot more to Moses' life if you go back and read Exodus and clear through Deuteronomy. You can learn a lot. That would be another great series. But we're just going to pick up on what the writer of Hebrews picks up on. So let, let me help you to think this through. You can really break down Moses' life into three sections. Okay? For, for the first 40 years, he lived in popularity and ease as he was in Egypt. As he was in the household of Pharaoh himself. Can you imagine what that would have been like? I, we have, we just, it's hard for us to imagine the, the grandeur of Egypt at this time. And Moses was in that house. But as you know, because he stands up for Jews, he runs. And for 40 years, he's going to live in obscurity. On the backside of a desert as a shepherd. And, and God is going to do a work in his life of, hum, of humility. He's going to have this encounter with God. And the last 40 years of his life will be these years of ministry. Not easy. Very challenging. So 40, 40, 40. Make sense? In Hebrews chapter 11, we pick up with, with the, a, a turning event that occurs, events that occur at the end of the first 40 years, when he's about 40 years of age. And then in verses 27 to 29, we pick up with a turning event that occurs when he's 80. Do you see? So, so the writer of Hebrews is looking at the whole life of Moses, and he's talking about faith, and he looks at this shot when he's around 40, and this shot when he's around 80. And that's what I want to do with you today. I want to look at what he says here, look at what he says here, make some final thoughts from the chapter, and application to our own life. So that's, that's where we're going today. But watch, and as we learn what Moses says no to and what he says yes to, will you think about your own life if you're a child of God? Those areas where the Spirit of God has been prompting you 
to say, no, stop. Don't, don't live for that. And embrace this. Because for each of us, it's a little bit different. Whether you're in high school or elementary school or a single, young married, with children, middle-aged. I mean, our, our experiences are different, but our challenge is the same. So as we talk about Moses, think about those experiences in your own life. So notice, we start here, leaving and cleaving at the age of 40. Oh, incidentally, I I know if you're watching us uh, online, you can't see the PowerPoint, which which is fine. We'll we'll actually put that up later, Uh, so if you want to go back and look at it. But for the people sitting here, you may be looking up and you may be saying, that looks like Charleston Heston. Uh, It is, it is. the one that, you know, if you're artistic, would be the top one by Michelangelo, his, his uh, sculpture. But most people, I'm thinking, probably equate more to the second than the first. But I threw them both up. So you don't see it, but I've just, just a comment for the folks here that are watching. All right, so verses uh, 23 to 26. I want you to notice what Moses says no to, what he rejects. And what you're going to find is he's going to reject identifying with Egypt. And he's going to embrace identifying with God's people. Look what he says. By faith Moses... Oh, and verse 23 is actually a lead into this, I, I should mention. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was... My translation says a beautiful child. Sometimes it says extraordinary. Perhaps that's what your translation says. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. The point of this text is saying that there was a point in Egypt when the Pharaoh was saying, too many Jews, let's kill the male Jews. So when they're born, I want them killed. And Moses' parents were not willing to do that. Because at the end of the day, they feared God more than they feared the edict of the king. Do you see? And they looked at Moses and they said, this is our child. There's value here. No, we're not going to do that. And so Moses comes from a family that is already living out a lifestyle that says, no, yes, because of God. Do you see? Which then launches us into this experience of Moses when he's 40 in verse 24. The Bible says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Wow. Don't, don't read through that too quickly. I, I, I was thinking something in my own life, and I, you probably had, have had similar experiences. I was, um, I was just entering a 
program at University of Penn um, and in the religious department. And, and, and I was there because I just wanted to do background study to the New Testament and the Greco-Roman world and the Jewish world of what we call the intertestamental period. And so it seemed like the best program for me to get in. And ultimately, I ended up getting a PhD there. But I have to tell you how I felt when I started. I remember some of those first couple classes. Because I didn't have any professors that were believers. Matter of fact, most of them were either agnostic and very anti-Christian and, and just a whole host of other things. So it, it was an uncomfortable setting. And, and I, remember, I remember being in that setting and, and, and thinking like, look, I'm a Christian. I know I'm a Christian. God knows I'm a Christian. But I don't know how explicit I have to be without this sitting in these classes. Because, you know, I do want to get my degree after all. You know, I got to have advisors. And I have to tell you, I had those thoughts go through my mind. And God's Spirit challenged my heart to say, you're you're an idolater, Doug. You, You care more about that? A degree, what people think, than me? Then just get out of this program. Or if you're going to stay in this program, you stay in it as a Christian who says he's a Christian. And that, for me, that was a, that was a turning point. And, 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 you know, God used that in my own life, and it also gave me opportunities to minister to other Christians who felt the same way in those settings. Now, I, I don't say that to say, like, I'm a great guy, because I struggled with that. But that's part of what God wants to do. And Moses has, is, grows up in the house of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's daughter called him her son. And he knew he was Jewish. He watched as, as Jews were mistreated, as they were enslaved, and all kinds of things happened around. And I'm sure time after time he kept saying, yeah, but this is comfortable. I have a retirement plan here with Egypt. I mean, I don't have to worry about anything. I can go to any school I want to go to. I can do anything I want to do to. I do. I'll be okay. I mean, I don't know all what he thought, but wouldn't you think that way? And at some point, by the time he's 40, at some point, Moses is listening and watching and seeing all these things, and he says, what am I doing? And he got to the point where he said, I no longer want to be identified as Egyptian. I want to be identified as a child of God. Part of the people of God. A Yahweh follower. He came to that point. For him, it took him years. And he said, I'm going to start stepping out, and at great cost, I'm going to identify with my people. And in identifying with his people, he gets into a tuffle and ends up killing an Egyptian, if you remember. 
And then that whole thing gets turned back on him when he's trying to do some things later with two fellow Jews. And he, 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 he does. He cuts and runs because when Pharaoh hears about it and what Moses is doing, he says, I want his head. And he runs and he, and he leaves. But it's still a very important turning point in his life, isn't it? He came to the point where he said, all of this pleasure... All of this prestige, all of this power, all that comes with it. It's not worth it. Because this, which feels harder and is harder now and costly now, is worth a whole lot more than that. And I will suffer wherever I must suffer. I will pay whatever price I must pay. Because God is worth it. Specifically in the text it says he's willing to go through the reproaches of Christ. That's almost an anachronism because like Christ hasn't come yet. But, but the writer of Hebrews is trying to make the connection to his, to, to his readers. So, but, so, but he's willing to say, look, I, 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 I will do this. And why does he do it? Look at what verse 26 says. He considers the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Why? For he was looking for the reward. Folks, if you would say no to pleasure and power and prestige and all of that good stuff that the world offers, for a life of living as a Christian with the challenges and the opposition And the attack that can come with that. And there was nothing beyond the grave. You would be a masochist. Wouldn't you? You give up that for this? I do. And and honestly, the this is still a rich blessing, isn't it? Because of the peace and the joy that it brings. However, it brings challenges too. And he says, I'm willing to say no to that. And yes to this, because I know there's a God, and I know he'll make everything right one day. And that driving force causes him to say no, and to say yes. So again, in your life, what does God want you to say no to, and yes to? Leaving and cleaving at the age of 40, he rejects identifying with Egypt and embraces identifying with God's people with all of the challenges that come along there. Look at verse 27 to 29. Let me read it. This is where Moses leaves and cleaves at age 80. So he now has spent 40 years in the desert. And God has done his work. And, and, I, and I want to be fair here. When you think of Moses, don't think of a guy with just such incredibly stellar faith where there's no challenges, there's no doubts, there's nothing. He is just stellar through and through. Because remember at the burning bush? God says, look, I've heard about my people. I know what's, what's happening. I want you to go and deliver them. And what's Moses say? All right, God, man, I am ready. 
Man, put it on. Bring it on, pal. Is that what he says? No, he says, um, is there anybody else? I mean, God, well, no, I, I will be with you. I, I, I'm, I'm really not much of a good communicator, Lord. And just one excuse after another. And finally God says, look, I'll give you Aaron. Go. Well, okay. And, and he gets to Egypt, makes his declaration to Pharaoh initially. And Pharaoh makes the, the Jews work even harder. And, and everything comes back on Moses. And he goes back to God and says, God, like, what's the deal? Why am I doing all this? I mean, I thought you were going to come, through, you know. So, do, do you see what I'm saying? It's not like, man, this guy is just stellar in his faith. He sees the goal, and man, he runs, and he'll knock everybody out in the way. Now, he gets there. You'll get there in time. We don't grow in our faith from here to here, do we? We turn... That's what repentance is all about. And we begin moving in a different direction. And we sometimes struggle and backpedal. But God reorients us and we go again. That, that's what happens. You look, at the, you look at the life of Abraham. You look at the life of Moses. You look at your life. That's what happens. But God is at work in Moses' life. And so his faith, it's not a perfect faith, but it's a true faith. It's correctly oriented. There's incremental growth toward, movement toward. Do you see? That, that's the kind of work that God does in our lives. And so here at the age of 80, look at what the Bible says in verse 27. Now, I, I should just make a comment. Maybe you've thought this or maybe you've heard people say this. And I just want you to know verse 27 is debated as to whether it's talking about when Moses left Egypt in fear at the age of 40, or whether this is talking about when Moses led all the people out of Egypt at the age of 80. Personally, I think it's talking about what happens at the age of 80, primarily because it tells us he doesn't fear the wrath of the king. And last I checked, he was rather fearful when he left at the age of 40. Okay, but there are, there, there's, there is some debate there and there's ways to explain it. But I, just so you know the way I'm thinking. So I, we're now at the age of 80. By faith, Moses left. And sometimes that word left is translated forsook. And, 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 and what he's saying, when Moses came back at the age of 80, he saw the grandeur again of Egypt. And as he looked at the grandeur, it's been 40 years he looked at it differently. And his entire stance toward Egypt at that, at that point was, no, I forsake it all. And I will lead God's people out of all this. But Moses, when he came back, he saw the, his world differently. Do you see? By faith, he left Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king. When he left Egypt at the age of 40, he was scared. Big time. Now, he was growing in his faith, but he was also afraid and right, you know, I can I understand all that stuff. But at this point, 
in Moses' life, he comes and with all of his struggles, even at this point, at the end of the day, by the time you get through those ten plagues, you will see Moses standing stellar like a rock. The last time he sees Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 10. Pharaoh is so ticked off because there's been one plague after another plague. And sometimes Pharaoh will backtrack and then Moses will remove the, 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 the plague. And then, and then Pharaoh will harden his heart. And it, it, this whole cycle just kind of goes through. But, but in chapter 10, the last time Moses comes to see Pharaoh, which we followed up by the death of all the firstborns. Pharaoh says, if I see you again, you're dead. I mean, he's mad. And I don't know about you, but I think I'd kind of... But the Bible tells us in chapter 11 of Exodus that Moses spoke truth to him and Moses walked out angry, not fearful. Do you see? He had come to the point in his life where God was so big that Pharaoh was so small. If all we do is look at people and, and, and things around us, they look, they look huge. But if we can look at them through the greatness of God, they look so small. And that's where Moses was. So he came in. He saw the whole system. He declared God's truth again and again and again and again. And there's back, this pushback from Pharaoh. And it, it's not easy. But Moses forsook it all. Because he said, that is not what life is about under God. So he left not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Isn't that an interesting way to talk about God? You see the unseen one. Uh, that's kind of a paradox, I think. Isn't it? Yeah, no, no, you don't actually see. But in your heart of hearts, you know it is as if you are literally seeing, although you're not literally seeing, because he's the unseen God. But, but you have this relation. And so, so Moses was able to look at the king of Pharaoh and say, look, he is a very significant, powerful individual. But I see the unseen God. And compared to him, he's nothing. Verse 28 talks about three events all congregating around leaving, leaving Egypt. The first is, is kind of more generic, if you will. This whole process of leaving, there was no fear here, there was only fear there, right? You fear God, you don't fear them. But now he goes and looks at two events. Verse 27, 28. He looks at what we call the Passover. And it says, By faith, Moses kept the Passover... And the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn might not touch them. Moses, God was so big in Moses' life that God came and for the last plague he said, 
all firstborn children and animals will die in the land of Egypt unless blood is sprinkled over the door. And Moses didn't say, well, that seems a little bit extreme. I mean, we are the people of God after all. I mean, oh no. God is a righteous God. God is a God who will judge sin. But God is a God who can be appeased if you do it his way. And blood will cover and protect the firstborn if you in faith believe that. And Moses told all the Jews, do this. And, 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 and the Passover was so significant that for many, many years, up until the time of Jesus Christ, if you were a Jew and you wanted to point back to the crowning event that showed that God was God, you would go back to Passover and to the crossing of the Red Sea. So much so that Passover became a, a major feast of the Jews. So that they would be reminded, God is a righteous God. Blood. The giving of life for the protection of the life of others. That pattern is being set up all the way through the Old Testament, which culminates in Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Do you see? But Moses believed God for who he was. He was great and awesome and to be feared. And when he said it, you just did it. And so, because they kept the Passover, all the firstborn children of the Jews were protected. The last event, verse 29. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Wouldn't you love to have seen that one? Or, or, I mean, maybe not the destruction, but wouldn't you like to be one of the guys who walked through? I, I mean, what would, that, what would that be? I've often wondered, as a little kid, you know, and you got the water here on this side and so forth. Like, are there fish like, you know, you've been down to a, an aquarium. You know, the fish can kind of come up right up to... Was it, was it that kind of sensation? Except you could reach your hand in? I, I, I mean, I don't know. But, and it doesn't just say, you know, the ground was soaked. It was dry. How do you get all those people through? There was a man of faith where God said, Moses, I've made a promise to protect my people against the enemy. You raise your staff... And I will part the waters. Well, that's not very scientific. I know, it's not. That can't happen normally. You got it. That's why we call it a miracle. And Moses believed in a God who could deliver from the enemy. And he raised his staff, the water, and they walked through. And when the Egyptians tried to do the same... God showed that he was truly a righteous God. And you will either submit to him or face destruction. That, that is what we...
proclaim to people about eternity, don't we, folks? We, we, we share the truth of the gospel because we really believe that. And we want people not to be on the wrong side, but on the right side and find deliverance from God. So Moses rejected a sensual allegiance to the world and embraced a costly allegiance to God. Because he rested in God's gracious sovereignty, both now and in eternity. God was so big that whatever he says goes. Everybody else is small compared to him. God is so big that he controls history now, in the past, and in the future. And so I can rest in him. Moses believed that, folks. What about us? What about our leaving and cleaving? Can I have you just very quickly look down at the end of Hebrews chapter 11 with me? Because again, you know in Hebrews chapter 11, you have all these different characters that are mentioned. People who live by faith. They weren't perfect people. But they were people with true faith. And when he gets to the, through that entire list, he says this in verse 39. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, in other words, God said, yes, you believe me, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You say, what in the world is that talking about? Here's what he's saying. In the Old Testament, just like us, people live by faith. But they would never experience what God ultimately had for them apart from the coming of Jesus Christ, correct? And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, everybody that's listening to me now, and I would say everybody sitting here listening to me now in the chapel or watching online, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior... This is for you, and as good as it was to be Moses and to have all those kinds of experiences, that can never happen apart from what you and I experience and understand far better than they ever did, which is Christ has come. Christ has died for our sins. He's the ultimate Passover. God has started something in the coming of Christ which will not be stopped. And one day Christ will come back a second time and he will right all wrong and he will establish the new heavens and the new earth. And we're part of that. And the writer of Hebrews says, look, it was great for Abel. It was great for Abraham. It was great for Moses and and David and all the other guys and gals. Sorry, because gals are mentioned in here too. But you're so much more privileged. Because you know the rest of the story in a way that they never did. And so look at what he does in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. He says, Yet look to Moses, and you will find great encouragement for your life. But because you live at this time in history, you can look beyond Moses to Christ. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, 
since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Look at what he says. Remember we said, say no, say yes? Here it is. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Just like Moses, you look around, you see all those guys say no, because at the end of the day, that worldly lifestyle, that pleasure, that thing, whatever it is in your life that you're, you're counting on as the center, that's hollow at the end of the day. And what you need to do is you need to say no to that. And you need to walk in endurance with Christ no matter, what it, no, no matter what comes because that's what true life is all about. Do you see? But as you do it, he says, I want you to look to the ultimate example, Jesus Christ. Verse 2, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who... In place of the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and the sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do, do you see what Jesus did? Jesus was willing to step away from the glories of heaven, wasn't he? He was willing to come and live this life to the glory of God, die a death, that he did not deserve to die, that we deserve to die. But he did it for us. He was willing to go through all the shame and all the ridicule, all that stuff. Remember, folks, when Christ was on the cross, nobody came by the cross that day and looked up at him and said, Oh, praise the Lord. The Son of God is dying for the sins of the world. Anybody say that? No. <laughs> Come down and we'll believe in you. Right? No, and the normal person walking through said three criminals deserve getting exactly what they deserve. And this text says Jesus, Jesus despised that. He faced opposition. He ultimately faced the sins of the world on his, where he took them on himself. And is now sitting, sitting at the right hand of the Father. No. Yes, because of who God is and what God will do. So folks, our journey of faith may not look exactly like Moses's. But we should be encouraged from Moses. We should ultimately be encouraged from Jesus Christ. And we should say no. And we should say yes, Lord, no matter what it costs. Which is exactly what Jesus said in the Gospels. If you're going to be my follower, what, what, what do you have to do? Deny yourself. Take up your cross, whatever that might be. And follow me. That is the life of faith. 
It is not lived perfectly. It is lived progressively. But it is the life that God has called us to. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what is it that he wants you to say no to? What is the Spirit prompted in your own heart? Will you step out and trust him in that area? Maybe it's a relationship that you're toying with that you know you shouldn't toy with. Maybe maybe you're in school or at work and you're saying, I should speak into that, but if I do, there could be consequences. So you, you zip it. I don't know what it is for you. What is it that God wants you to say, no, don't live for that value system. At the end of the day, it'll pass away. Let the gospel go so deeply into your soul. The wonder of the cross, the magnificence of the resurrection, the glory of the fact that Christ is king at the right hand of the Father. Let that go so deep into your soul that it spills out into a life that speaks the gospel and lives the gospel and loves people and looks for people to meet needs and and, and does all those things because it, it comes out of a heart that's overwhelmed with the gospel, folks. Do you see? And that's going to look a little bit differently for each one of us. But it needs to manifest itself in all of our relationships and in all of our settings. Because at the core, our identity at the core is not that we're American. It's that we're Christian. Isn't that true? At my deepest core, I am Christian. And that's what unites us as God's people. So you and I live under this awesome God who has both loved us And he's also holy. And we know at the end of the day, it will all make sense. I was reminded of a story that I've used here before, so I apologize, but I'll use it again. John Wesley, at the end of his, toward the end of his life, had a a time where he um, visited one of his old friends who was not a believer, but very wealthy. And this gentleman brought Wesley into his estate and he showed him his house and showed him his gardens and he showed him a whole host of things and trying to impress him. And he looked at Wesley at one time because he thought Wesley kind of wasted his life. You know, he lived this life for the gospel and helping people and ministering to the needy and all that stuff. Wesley did some incredible things. And the guy said, you know, If you would have lived differently, all this could have been yours. And Wesley looked back at him and said, perhaps, but there's more. For you and I, there's more. And that motivates us to say no, yes, to a God who controls the whole. Father, I pray that your spirit will reveal to each one of us where we have to say no. Lord, where we have to engage 
out of a heart that's overwhelmed by the gospel. Father, will you do that good work in our heart through your spirit? And Lord, if there would be anybody that's here, either in person or online, who has never trusted you as Lord and Savior, may this be the day that they bow their knee to you because any other pursuit, anything else they center their lives on, at the end of the day will be hollow. The only thing that can fulfill our hearts is to know the God who has created us to have a relationship with him, and that is you. So, Father, may they repent, submit, trust, and know the joy and wonder of being forgiven because of the cross. So, Lord, do your good work in our lives. Help us not to forget Moses this week, but even more so, Help us not to forget Christ. In his name I pray, amen. You're you're dismissed.